And now, if you have your Bible, once you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be there in just a little bit. But last week, we started a series that we're calling Short Stories, which is really a series on the parables of Jesus. According to Matthew, Jesus never spoke to the crowds without using stories or without using parables. Matthew 13, 34, Jesus said, or the scripture says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. And this fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables and I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, Jesus used over 40 parables to explain and teach some powerful spiritual truths that was transforming the lives of those that hear it. Now, I believe that's also true for you and I, that as we learn the powerful truths that are tucked away in the stories and the parables of Jesus, it can powerfully transform your life. I don't believe we're wasting time here by being in church and hearing the word of God. Do you? I believe the best time that we spend in the week is hearing the word of God. Don't you? I mean, come on. Sometimes I think we forget about what we're doing here. We're hearing from the wisest man that ever taught Jesus Christ. Amen. And come on, when we apply the truth of God's word, I'm telling you, he will help us in our life. Amen. Now, last week we talked about three, three parables that, um, that described or revealed some important characteristics of the kingdom of God. Now, today we're going to look at another parable, but just one today. And this parable is one of the most famous parables in all the Bible. And it's the parable called the Good Samaritan. Now, if you remember, the parable of the Good Samaritan was really a response to an important question a Jewish lawyer asked Jesus. Remember, he comes to Jesus and he asked this question in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, here's a recap. A religious lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, um, how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law of Moses say? You're a religious leader. You're a religious lawyer. You should know this. What do you think? And so the lawyer says, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. That's all the law and the commandments hang on these two. Right, Jesus said. You know what you're talking about. So he says, good answer. Do this and you will live. Now, so the religious leader not being satisfied with what Jesus responded, he asked another question. And he says this in verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now, the important question was, who is my neighbor? Now, if loving our neighbor, if loving God with all our heart, mind and soul is the first and greatest commandment, and loving our neighbor is like the first, and it's the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you would agree that we need to find out who's our neighbor? Because if we got to do this, we got to find out who's our neighbor, right? Now, how many of you quickly say, well, that's the guy that lives next door. 
I mean, that's what automatically comes to my mind. Who's your neighbor? The guys that live next door. But how many of you know Jesus meant more than that? He meant way more than that. Now, the lawyer's question sets the stage to understanding the lesson of the good, good Samaritan. Many scholars believe that when the religious man asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? He wasn't really asking the question for information, but to prove that he really was a righteous man. In his mind, he had the love your neighbor thing down pat. Oh, I do that. But Jesus, who knows everything and who knew this man. And who has has unlimited understanding. Questions the man's response. So the lawyer's question reminds us, number one, that it sets the stage for what Jesus meant when he told the parable. But number two, the lawyer's question reminds us that we all have limited understanding of God's will and God's ways. How many of you know that he had more to learn? The, the, the religious leader had more to learn. He, he thought he had it, but he didn't really have it. How many of you think that's just like you and I? I mean, we think we know it, but how many of you know we got more to learn? Come on, I don't, I'm not sure you're with me. Hello. I'm going to do the roll call. Brian, are you here? I'm going to do the roll call. Are you here? How many of you know we all have more to learn? We don't know everything. We got more to learn. And that's the purpose that Jesus tells these stories is to help us learn more. Amen. None of us have a complete understanding of how to fully follow Jesus and obey his commands. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. And all that I know, Paul said, is partial and incomplete. None of us know the whole counsel of God. We're all looking through that glass, that dimly lit glass. Thus the importance of learning the meaning of the Good Samaritan. So now the parable of the Good Samaritan really tells us how to live. Jesus uses this parable to teach us how to love our neighbor. Why does he teach that? Because we need to learn. Because we think we know how to love our neighbor, but we're, we're falling short and we need to know more. And so in Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, he's, Jesus replied with this story. The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? He says, it's like this. And he tells this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him... The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and with wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. And the man relied, the religious leader replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Now, there's four main characters to the story. The first one, obviously, is the traveler. Where there's more than four, we're going to just talk about four. Because there's really five when you think about the bandits. But the traveler who was robbed by bandits is one of the characters. And this traveler was a Jewish man 
who was traveling on the road to Jericho, which was a very treacherous road and was notorious for having people being robbed. It was a it was a a, a, a place. There was a lot of turns, a lot of place to hide. Bandits would hide people walking down the road. They would get robbed. So when Jesus tells this story, they can relate to what he's talking about. Like today, he might have said, you know, it's like a man that was driving down Ambassador Caffrey. And we would say, oh, yeah, I'm with you right now. Right. And then, then there was the religious priest who was walking on that road and uh, saw this man lying there that had been robbed. And uh, and he was lying there dying. But rather than help him, he just crossed over the road onto the other side. Like maybe that will relieve me of responsibility. And he kept going where he's, he's probably going to church because he was a priest. Right. And then there was uh, the temple assistant or the Levite. Now, the Levites were those in charge of the duties of the temple. They were musicians. They were singers. They were choir. They were sound booth guys and, you know, all that kind of thing. Right. And so the Levite, who also saw the man lying on the road, he he, too, rather than helping the man, just looked past him, crossed the road and kept going. He was probably going play the guitar at church. You know, in today's vernacular, you know, then there was the despised Samaritan. He's the fourth guy. Now, the despised Samaritan, who was also traveling on that road, he responded differently. So he sees the guy. He saw the wounded traveler lying there. But instead of just passing him up, he stops to take care of him. Now, this is what verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So going over to the Samaritan, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, bandaged him, they put him on his donkey, took him to the inn where he took care of him. So we could see that the despised Samaritan treated the man who was dying differently than the other two guys. Now let's summarize this parable. A man's traveling on this road, some bandits pop out, they rob him, they beat him up, and they leave him there, leaving him to die. A pastor is on his way to church, sees a man dying, but rather than help him, he's going to get the service started. My paraphrase, okay? And then right after him, the, the worship team is running late and they're coming to church and they see the same guy and they say, man, I got to go play. We're going to worship the Lord, man. And they just go right by him and they go to church. And then this guy, this is despised Samaritan who really wasn't even welcome in church, he stops to help the guy and takes care of him. Wow. Remember, Jesus is using this parable to teach us what loving your neighbor really looks like. How many of you know that's a powerful story right there? Come on, you get that, don't you? And so from this parable, I think we can learn this. Loving your neighbor means, number one, cultivating a heart of compassion. Obviously, those two other guys lack compassion. The Bible says in verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So couldn't you say that what this man had, the other two guys didn't? You see, this guy, the Bible says, had compassion. Do you think the pastor lacked compassion? You think the Levite lacked compassion? You know, compassion means to have pity and feel sympathy for someone. And so, listen, having compassion for people 
is something that has to be in the DNA of God's children, right? But how many of you know having compassion for people doesn't come automatically? It really requires spending enough time in God's presence until your heart has been softened by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know it's the Spirit that softens our heart? That's why you can have somebody that can quote verse after verse, has been through more Bible courses and colleges and have zero compassion. Have no compassion. It's the spirit that softens the heart. Only the spirit can soften your heart to the point that you can begin loving people unconditionally. You know, I think the more time you spend in God's presence, the easier it becomes in loving people. Y'all, wouldn't you all agree with that? Come on, y'all help me out here. Isn't that true? Now, the priest and the Levite reminds us that just ju- not just knowing the law is, is sufficient. And just going to church is not enough to have a heart of compassion. Listen, religion won't do it. You see, I want you to understand that, you know, that we like religion. We like routine, like just tell me to, you know, to to bow or tell me to clap. You know, you tell me what to do and I'll just do it. As long as I don't have to engage my heart. Religion is worshiping God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. Right? But how many of you know true Christianity, you got to get your heart involved. Come on, you got it. This is a heart thing, man. You know, I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I want to know, can you love your neighbor? Come on, are y'all with me out there? Because Jesus says, this is it right here, right? So we need an intimate relationship with Jesus to get compassion. Just going to church ain't going to cut it. Number two, loving your neighbor also means taking personal interest in people and getting physically involved. Now, notice in verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. So unlike the priest and the Levite who just walked by, the Samaritan physically did something to help the man. I mean, he just like got in the ditch with him. Now, come on, let's stop there for a moment. He got off the road and he got in the ditch with him. Come on, you you got to get off the pew to help the Samaritan, to help the bandaged man, right? The the robber, I mean, the guy that had been bleeding. You got to get off the pew. Come on, is this true, men and women of God? Is this right? Come on now, like, I, I I need to get me a mirror. Doug, help me to remember to get a mirror. I need to put a mirror over there so I can look at myself while I'm preaching this stuff. Because I need this. More than y'all do. Amen. So listen, how many of you know that love is a verb? It's an action. Love, you know, how many of you know that? You know, come on, everybody can say, I love you. And you say, well, why is that? Why do I feel that stick in my back? That knife you put in my back? Why, why are you saying you're loving me and I'm feeling this, the, you know, the dagger? Come on. How many of you know love is an action? It requires action. And when we truly love someone, people know it. They can feel it. They can tell it by our actions. They can tell. Listen, children are so perceptive of real love. You know, when children get around somebody that's kind of sketchy, they kind of like got that. hmm. They know somebody that don't like children. They walk in a room and they see somebody in a room that that children are botheration. They know it right away. But they also know people that love them. 
Right? So you could tell when you love somebody. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So loving your neighbor looks like this. This is kind of what it looks like. First Corinthians 13. Love is patient, kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It's not irritable. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's a picture of love right there. I wonder. I wonder if my family thinks I'm loving. I'm wondering if my neighbors think I'm loving. I'm wondering if the people I go to church with think I'm loving. Because really, that's the indication. Not what I think. Really, what others think. Is that right? Come on, if you agree with that, say amen, brother. Loving your neighbor also means, number three, sacrificing your personal time and personal resources to help people. Oh, now, come on now. I knew you were going to get on that stuff. But listen what 34 says. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. Notice he didn't put him on his neighbor's donkey. Notice he didn't send him to his neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, you got a donkey? You got a donkey? This guy's dying. Can I borrow your donkey? I need my donkey. He used his own donkey. But you know what else he did? He took time out of his schedule to make sure he got to the inn. Come on, how many of you know it takes time? It takes time. It takes sacrifice. Then verse 35, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So you could tell the good Samaritan was willing to sacrifice his personal time as well as personal finances to help this man. You know, it's really hard to love your neighbor without being willing to sacrifice your precious time and your precious dollars. Isn't it true? It's hard to love your neighbor without doing that. He was willing to come back and check on him later to make sure he was okay. Come on, can you see his heart there? Can you feel his heart? He was concerned. And so the question is, when was the last time you sacrificed your personal precious time and your personal precious dollars to help somebody? Well, just to help you out. If you just gave in that offering, you just did. Amen. But how many of you know that's where the rubber meets the road? I mean, we can sit here and talk about the Good Samaritan. We can be intrigued with the story and say, oh, yeah, that's a great story. But listen, saints. Every day, whether we're on our way to church or to work or to to the mall, whatever it is, every day we have opportunity to reach out and help somebody. Every day. And see, our Christianity has to get past the church building on the pew and it has to get on the street. Come on, if you believe that's true, say amen. Help the brother preach here this morning. Amen. Are y'all with me? Okay, so the parable of the Good Samaritan not only tells us what it means to love our neighbor, but listen, it also leaves every Christian with a God-given responsibility. Remember the very last thing he said in verse 37? Now go 
and do likewise. Jesus requires us to do likewise. Do what? Go and do the same. Go and do what the same? Begin loving your neighbor by showing mercy to those who have need. Now, I want you to notice whenever the man responded, he said, which one, which one was a neighbor? Lawyer, religious theologian. Which one was the neighbor? And the, the, the religious know-it-all said, the one that showed him, the one that showed him, come on, we need mercy. We need mercy. It takes mercy, right? It takes mercy. What is mercy? It's not giving somebody what they deserve. That's God's mercy. He don't give us what we deserve. How many, how many of you, how many of you feel like you did enough wrong for God not to be interested? But in his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserved. Yeah, right? And so mercy is showing, is showing kindness to somebody that don't even deserve it. It's showing love towards an offender, an enemy, or someone who has wronged you. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you had anybody wrong you lately? <laughs> have you had anybody do you wrong lately? How about today already? But it's not hard to, to experience that. See, mercy is, is not having a hard, crusty heart, but it's having a soft, compassionate, kind heart towards those that have needs. Right? In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So the Samaritan loved and helped the man who hated him. The Samaritan was despised by Jews. So whenever the guy went, the Samaritan went to help that guy, the Bible says he was a Jewish man. Imagine somebody that had been talking about you every day and you hear all the stuff about you and you get out of the ditch and you go help that man that's been trying to wreck your reputation. That's what this story is about. He didn't go help his buddy. He didn't go help his sibling. He didn't go help his spouse. He went to help somebody that hated him. Come on, how many of you know that's mercy? Amen? Now let's kind of conclude this thing by talking about three important takeaways from this parable. Number one, Jesus is always interested in helping those that are wounded and suffering. He tells the story, and I believe he tells the story for us to get a, an idea. Remember in, in, in Matthew 9 and verse 35, Jesus traveled throughout all the cities, villages in the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And wherever he went, he healed people of every sickness. Verse 36 says, and what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great that they didn't know where to, what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus had pity on the brokenness of humanity. He felt pity for those who had great problems. So what does that say? If we're supposed to be like Jesus, what does that say about us? Listen, our Christianity isn't working right until we start having compassion for people that are broken and suffering because that's what Jesus is all about. Right? Isn't that true? So you see, that's a challenge. It's not just, you know, it's not, okay, we have it like, okay, I got the Christianity thing down just because I show up at church. No, has it gotten you to the place where your hard, crusty heart is softened to the place where you begin to love other people? Because Jesus loves other people. Amen?
And in a little while, we're going to pray. Listen, I just want you to know that if you're hurting or overwhelmed today, Jesus loves you. And his heart is for you. And when he surveys this crowd, he's not looking for those that are all got it all together. He said, I didn't come for those that are well. I came for those that needed a physician. And how many of you know he is the great physician? Amen. So listen, if you've broken today, you're in the right place because the healer is in the house. Amen. Jesus is in the house. Number two, a second takeaway from this parable is this. The Lord wants to use you and I to help those that are wounded and suffering. Now, you know, Jesus, obviously it takes the spirit of God to heal people, right? I mean, you can't, you can't put somebody's life together on your own. You can help them. You can give them opportunities. You can give them suggestions and stuff. But how many of you know you can give a thousand suggestions and a thousand opportunities, but that in itself ain't going to help somebody out. Amen. I mean, just opportunities is not going to solve people's problems. How many of you know Jesus needs people to pitch in and, and be there to disciple and point the way to him? So whenever you think about it, the man that's in the ditch that's dying and the good Samaritan represents us. And Jesus is saying, you be the good Samaritan. God wants to use us. Now, the reality is that, you know, sometimes we lack compassion. You ever lacked compassion? How many of you ever lied in church? <laughs> Come on, how many of you ever lacked compassion? I mean, sometimes I feel, sometimes like my compassion is turned off and sometimes it's turned on. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I mean, they could be broken us all around, but it's like, oh. Talk to the hen. <laughs> but then other times I see any brokenness and it's like, oh my goodness. But how many of you know we need to get our compassion button fixed? Amen. Where it's, com- where we're compassionate all the time. Cause that's who Jesus is. So the Lord wants to use us. And the third, the third and final takeaway from this parable is this. Loving our neighbor is a spiritual command not a suggestion that can only be accomplished through God's grace. You can't do it on your own. Have you noticed that? You can't do it on. The, the, listen, the Samaritan had to overcome a lot to help this traveler. Number one, he had to overcome his prejudices. He had to overcome his prejudices. Listen, you know what? The Jews hated the Gentiles or the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And you know what? Listen, to love people unconditionally, to love people like Jesus wants us to love, we got to get over our prejudices. Come on, you need to hear that again. We need to get over our prejudices. Amen. You hearing me? Listen, in heaven, there's going to be every tongue, tribe and nation. It's going to be everybody, the rich, the poor, the fat, the skinny, the redhead, the blonde head. Come on, the tall, the short. It's going to be everybody there. So we got to learn how to love everybody while we're here because that's the way it's going to be in heaven. Come on. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can get rid of our, our stinking thinking. And that's what the good Samaritan, he had to overcome his prejudice, but he also had to overcome his selfishness to love his neighbor. 
He had to be willing to sacrifice. He had to overcome his flesh to love his neighbor. And some of you know, only the spirit of God can do that. He had to have a new heart. So really, the only way we can truly love our neighbor is, man, we need God's help. We need God's help. And I tell you, you know, listen, some people can prophesy. They can read your mail. Oh, that's impressive. And the Lord shows me, oh, that's impressive. You know, some people can tell you, man, they can tell you the Bible. They can quote scripture and they can make points in the Bible. And man, they will impress you how much they know the Bible. That's impressive. But I tell you, the thing that impresses me the most is whenever I see somebody love unconditionally. Because, man, you can know a lot of Bible stuff and have a hard heart. Right? And, man, you can operate on the spiritual gifts. In fact, didn't Paul say something like this? You could give everything you got. You could give everything you own to the poor. You could give your body to be burned. But if it don't come out of a heart of love, it sounds like wah, 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 wah in heaven. Right? That's in Matthew chapter 5. No, just kidding. But are you all hearing what I'm saying? So let's stand together and let's close in prayer. I want to pray for three different groups of people today as we conclude. The first group I want to pray for is those that have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus loves you. And he he came for those that are hurting, that are sick, that are busted up, that are wounded, that are like a sheep without a shepherd. And you might be here today. and Man, you got a world that's full of callousness. And harshness. And sometimes you get kicked by those that love you the most. Or or you thought loved you the most. That are closest by you. And you have no way to get through life. Without having somebody in your corner. That truly understands and will be with you. And Jesus wants to be that person in your corner. So if you would just bow your head with me for a moment. If you here today and you say, Todd, would you pray for me? I need to be a Christian. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Would you pray for me? Pray for me. I don't want to just play church. I want to be a genuine, sincere, true Christian. Would you pray for me? I don't want to play games. I want to, I want the real thing. If that's you, raise your hand. Would you just raise your hand? And I want to pray for you. Raise it high so I can see it. Raise it, raise it real high. And look, when you raise your hand, look up at here. So let's 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 look at each other here. That right here, right here. Come on, this is not a place. This is not a secret. This is out and open. Right here. Anybody else? Right over here. Come on, right over here. Those. Come on, raise your hand. Those of you. Now listen. Those of you got have you raised your hand? Just slip out of the pew. Come meet me right here at the altar. Just come on. Just come right out. Just come right out here. You say, Todd, why do I need to do that? Because the Bible says. If you're willing to confess him before man, he'll be willing. To, you got to be willing to step out. You got to be willing to say, I want to serve Jesus. If you're not willing to do that, then may, maybe you're not ready yet. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. We're waiting on you. Anybody else? Come on down. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Just pray this prayer from your heart with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Wait, wait, hang on just a minute. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Father. The Bible says heaven is thrown a party right now. They're, they're rejoicing because of the decision that you've made. Amen. So just pray this from your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Lord, I am a sinner, but I believe you forgive. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I don't want to live a sinful life. I want to live a godly life. But I can't do that without your help. Lord Jesus, would you help me? Would you empower me to live my life for you? Thank you, Jesus, for being in my corner, being my friend, and helping me to make it through this life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now listen, those of you that, if you would just stay right there for just a moment, we have some altar workers. I want to know your names. I want to give you a Bible if you need one. Got a little bit of information to give you to just kind of help you get started. But I want to pray for you, okay? So if you would, just, uh, just would you, a couple of altar workers come help Brandon and Kelly. And so we can just get their names real quick. Now listen, the other group of people I want to pray for, just close your eyes with me for just a moment. And just think about this with me for a moment. I want to ask you, do you have trouble loving people unconditionally? Or do you struggle with prejudices? and callousness and it's hard for you to just really have compassion for people I believe God is wanting to give us new hearts today if you hear today and you say Todd would you pray for me I feel like I need a softer heart the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 I will give you a new heart I will put a new spirit in you I'm going to take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Come on, I want that, don't you? That's the kind of heart I want. Because I tend to have a stony heart, but I want a tender heart. If you're here today and you say, Todd, pray for me. I want that compassionate heart. Just raise your hand. And I'm raising my hands first. And I want to pray for me and anybody else that feels like you need prayer for that today. Come on, let's ask the Lord to help us today. Let's ask the Lord to give, give us a soft heart today. Let's ask God to give us a compassionate heart today. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, we need tender hearts today. We need soft hearts today. God, I don't want religion. I want intimacy. Lord, I don't want just rules and regulations. I want an intimate, personal, loving relationship with you so I can love others. God, help us today to get beyond religion to relationship to get beyond callousness to tenderness god i pray give us new hearts today in the mighty name of jesus thank you lord that you've given us a a a heart transplant today in the name of jesus i pray amen and amen and amen i'm trusting that god is going to do that today And I encourage you to pray about that and say, God, give me a shepherd heart. Give me a tender heart. Give me a compassionate heart. Okay, one last group of people and then we'll be done. I want to pray for those who are presently feeling overwhelmed with troubles and circumstances and situations in life. See, that parable teaches us that Jesus cares about the guy 
that is bleeding, the girl that is struggling. And you might be here today and Jesus, the God we serve, wants to help you, loves you and wants to help you. So I want to pray for you. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hands and just identify yourself right now. Just identify yourself. And if somebody's got their hand raised next to you, just put your hand on their shoulder. Put your hand on theirs. Just let's agree with them right now. Let's pray and ask God to comfort them. You know, listen, don't be afraid to walk out of the pew. Go, look, look around the room. If you see somebody with their hand raised that doesn't have somebody over there praying with them, standing with them, just go right now. Let's pray and let's agree together right now that the grace of God is going to reach out and touch those that are needing His compassion. Father God, I thank you that the compassionate hand of God is in this place today and that God you are strengthening encouraging and loving those that are needing your love today thank you God for breaking discouragement and darkness off of them and Lord I pray that you would Lord that you would stop their bleeding and that you would help them to recover and I thank you God that you're taking them out of the ditch today and that you're putting them back on the road of life Lord I thank you and I praise you for the good hand of God that is being released today in the mighty and the powerful and the strong name of Jesus I pray and everybody that agreed shouted and said amen 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 now listen those of you that raised your hand if you want somebody to pray for you uh, here at the altar just come and we'll pray with you we'll stand with you and we'll walk with you amen well y'all ready to go remember now we're going down the Jericho Road. Amen. So while we're going down the Jericho Road, keep your eyes and your ears open. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful day. You're dismissed.